0: Welcome to the New England Football Journal podcast. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone. Kevin, how are you, man?
1: Doing good, John. Doing good, man. How are you?
0: Doing all right. I'm doing all right. As I tell you every week, I can't complain because people stop listening. I don't know why they won't listen to me when I bitch and moan. I don't get oh, yeah. it. I'm with you, <laughs> all right, let's start I'm with on our opening drive. I'll let you go first this week. What do you got?
1: Uh, MIAA, meaning on Tuesday. Obviously, a huge day for uh, high school sports and high school football in particular. So uh, hoping for the best, but kind of expecting the worst at this point.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think that there's going to be a decision made this Tuesday. I still think ultimately they're going to wait for the state to guide them. And and really, that's what it comes down to. The MIA is going to end up just basically following the lead of the governor and Desi and, and everybody above them, essentially. So uh, I don't think that we're going to we're going to find out, per se, whether or not we have fall sports after this meeting on Tuesday. What we might find out, I think, is kind of an outline of what might happen. They might kind of present their plan in the event that we do have fall sports. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I've i said this all along for the last few weeks. I'm not hopeful. Um, and that's not me being negative, but just look at what's yeah. going on in pro sports now, Kevin. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. It's a mess. The NFL, who we thought, and we're going to talk about this, but yeah. the NFL, who we thought had their poop together, apparently does not because a bunch of players came out this morning railing against the fact that they want to play, but that the league doesn't seem to have a direction in terms yeah. of what they want to do for player safety. So it'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, so my uh, my opening drive has to do with just that. It has to do with the NFL. And And the one thing I will say is, I've been pretty positive about the NFL starting on time and playing their games and 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 having a a quote normal season, even though it probably would have meant that there'd be no fans. But I'm really not ready for this version of training camp. Of course, training camps are supposed to open tomorrow. With the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs reporting, rookies will report for those two franchises. But I got to tell you, Kevin, a I don't feel like football season's here, mm-hmm. and b I kind of agree with the players, and again, I don't want to get into into this too much right now because we're going to talk about it later on. But yeah. I kind of agree with the players here. It just seems like they're basically saying to them, "All right, training camp starting this week. You need to report starting with the rookies, then veterans go."
1: It's fascinating, and if you look at MLB, how long did they take just to to get the protocols and their actual you know negotiation in order? The NFL is just acting like everything's all you know hunky dory, and and they're ready to go and. It's not even close. So uh, I don't know what the hell they're thinking, to be honest. Yeah, with I don't
0: know what they're thinking either. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and again, it the the, the reaction of the players this morning was pretty startling. I mean, I yeah. thought that the NFLPA has done a pretty good job of squelching. I, I don't want to say squelching what the players want, per se, mm-hmm. but I think they've done a pretty good job of managing the players and keeping them in a place where they don't have to necessarily react. They represented them. They did the talking for them. But now you see Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. all these players coming out and saying what they said this morning, and then you realize, oh, crap, NFL camp's open tomorrow. Yeah. Where where are things? Where, where are they going with this? It's remarkable to me. And, and part of it is, and, and listen, I deal with this every year. I, mm-hmm. I have a hard time with letting go of summer. Even in a year like this, as bad as 2020 has been, mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time letting go of summer from that standpoint that, Wow. Football is upon us. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I do want to get into it here in a few minutes, but before we get into that, we're going to start by talking some college football here. And obviously the biggest story of the weekend is Boston college on Friday night, getting a commitment from four-star defensive back, Clinton Burton out of St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. This is a humongous pickup for Jeff Hafley and his staff. I don't think people realize how significant this commitment is because you can make the case that Burton is the most prominent prospect in terms of rated prospects to ever commit to the Boston College football program. This is a big deal, man. And, and I do want to talk about the influence of Jeff Affley here. But, yeah. but before we do that, let's just talk about the significance of this. Why is this such a big deal for the Boston College football program?
1: So in terms of on the field, you know better than I would. Uh, but when you see, you know, four-star recruit and then BC right next to it, that's not something you hear every day. So this uh, <laughs> is just, just to see and hear that um, was a little startling. But um, having been on the Zoom call with him as well, he seems ready to rock and roll here. Um, he's adjusted well, or at least, you know, early on is as best you can adjust with everything that's going on. So, uh, hell, it's a great pickup and uh, it adds another dimension for for Signetti to use on offense.
0: Well, actually we're talking about Clinton Burton, who they oh, got the yeah. commitment from on Friday night. You're talking yeah. about Jalen Gill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, we're gonna get into that yeah. next.
1: Sorry, no, uh, yeah. So well, save that spot. No, yeah, but most of the <laughs> most of the same thing applies. Um, I mean again, it's you hear these names that keep coming and coming in a time where recruiting is not easy at all. Um and coaches no. are having to take coaches are having to take a completely different route in terms of getting kids and and getting kids to trust you and buy in and and all that stuff so um again screwed up the name but it all still applies the same way and what what the staff is doing is it's pretty remarkable in my opinion
0: well and look a lot of this a lot of the credit has to go to 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 coach raheem the defensive backs coach and defensive pass game coordinator he has done a tremendous job in the dmv he had done a tremendous job in the dmv when he was at umass as defensive coordinator last year he has a lot of ties he's coached at the university of maryland He has a lot of connections with the coaches and the players there. So he, to me, is the biggest reason why they were able to get this commitment out of Burton. But this is important for for two reasons. One, he's going to be an impact player right away. He's going to step in and play for you right away and help your program on the field. But where it's a big deal off the field is if a four-star kid is committing to Boston College, guess what? In this day and age with social media – A lot of these kids that are being recruited now, and you know this, Kevin, they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And if he has a positive experience here, he's going to tell his teammates at St. Francis. He's going to tell other kids that are getting recruited. Now this could potentially, if he has success on the field, open the door for other four-star kids to consider Boston College. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and again, like I said, it's just what, what hits me the most is at a time where literally coaches have never had to deal with anything like this. In terms of recruiting, the names and just the buzz that continues to grow around BC—it's kind of mind-boggling, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and, and, and again, it's it speaks to you know we've we've talked about how important it is for Jeff Halfley and the staff to develop a rapport with the coaches and players in Massachusetts, especially because you're seeing the influence of Michigan and many of these Power Five programs that have been coming not only into the state of. Massachusetts, but into the region in, in, in general. Yeah. But you can't deny the influence that this coaching staff has in terms of recruiting nationally, particularly in the Mid-Atlantic and the DMV. I mean, they, they clearly have a lot of connections there, but there are sides that coaches trust their players with. And I think that's huge because there's a lot of talent in that part of the country right now when it comes to high school football. And I said this yesterday when I did a little brief Um, video on them getting the commitment from Burton. Look, when it comes to Massachusetts, I think after the 2020 season, assuming they play this year, I think that Halfley and his staff are going to hit the ground running in Massachusetts and New England to try to form those relationships with the coaches and the players. And I think once they do that, they're going to be in the mix for a lot of kids here. Any, Any Division I type talent in the state of Massachusetts or this region, Boston College will be in the mix provided that the, the athlete qualifies. So I think it's this is significant because you're not only adding an impact player, but you're also now opening the door to add more high-end three-star kids and, more importantly, more four-star kids and then that possible five-star kid down the road. So I, I, I kudos to Jeff Affleck, kudos to Coach Raheem. Obviously, the inroads, the relationships that they have, it's paid off for them, and I think it's going to pay off for them on the field and off the field in the next year or two when they start to add more of these types of talents to their recruiting lists.
1: And I also can't help but wonder, I wonder if this kind of pushes UMass and and pushes some of the other schools, you know, around here to to kind of step up that recruiting game as well.
0: Well, yeah, listen, (laughs) you have to recruit that area. There's just so much talent right now in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. You've got to recruit. You don't have a choice because while you might not be able to get a player of this caliber if you're UMass, there's a lot of three-star type of athletes there. And UMass, Walt Bell and his staff, I think, have done a tremendous job this offseason with their recruiting efforts as well. But there's enough talent there, two- and three-star talent, that if you're UMass, you recruit these guys and you land them, they can make an immediate impact for you. There's no question about that. Yeah. Now you mentioned Jalen Gill earlier, and, and I want to get your thoughts on that. You mentioned you were on the Zoom call. Another big acquisition, if you will, for Jeff Hafley and his staff. Jalen Gill, of course, is a wide receiver. He's transferring from Ohio State. He entered the transfer portal. He surprised people by picking Boston College, but this is a big time addition to the BC offense. This gives them another skill piece. That that can make plays. Frank Signetti's going to now have another skill piece to work with mm-hmm. to get the ball to.
1: Yeah, like I was saying earlier, man. When uh, when he was on that call, the biggest thing that jumped out to me was Florida, Baylor, North Carolina. Uh, I think there was two more there as well, uh, and he picked BC over all of them. So uh, obviously, that relationship with Halfley was huge too, uh, and he actually made it a point to talk about. Oh, uh, you know, Half is a defensive guy, but uh, he made it a point to talk to him during spring ball last year and let him know how good he thought he was on the other side of the ball already. Um, so that that relationship was huge, and uh, obviously it paid dividends. And now uh, the names just keep rolling in for BC.
0: Yeah, this is a as I mentioned, this is a big pickup because Gills is the type of player that can step in and play right away. Mm-hmm. He's going to step in, and along with Kobe White and Zay Flowers, now they have three legitimate playmakers that they can get the ball to. Then you have Hunter Long at tight end. You, you have David Bailey at running back. Now, all of a sudden, Frank Signetti, if they could figure out a quarterback, whether or not it's Djokovic or uh, Dennis Grossell, if they can yeah. figure out a quarterback. You have a veteran offensive line coming back. Now you have a good skill group to work with. This BC office, offense all of a sudden has the potential to be really potent. And in order to compete in the ACC, and you know this, Kevin, you got to score points. I think they're going to play really good defense under Jeff Halfley. They're not going to give up the number of big plays they gave last year. I think they're going to be much more fundamentally sound, but they're going to have to score points. Your defense can only keep you in games for so long. I think adding a player of this caliber who, with his size, can do some of the things that a Debo Samuel of the San Francisco 49ers can do, where you can use him in the backfield. You can run jet sweeps with him. You can use him underneath in the passing game. He can stretch defenses vertically if he generates a matchup out of the slot. He could do a lot of different things, and I think Frank Signetti was probably pretty fired up when Jalen Gill committed to Boston College, and I, and I know that Gill talked about uh, wanting to play in this offense in that Zoom call.
1: Yeah, and, um, again, he was a running back in high school. Uh, he converted at Ohio State, so um, again, like you said, he can go anywhere. He even said he's looking forward to going anywhere um, that Signetti wants him to go, so uh, it feels like they're loading up on speed, uh, for the most part. Again, against a team like a Clemson or or most of the other teams in the ACC, they're going to need that speed. So, um, yeah, man, they're loading up right now.
0: Well, and, and here's the thing, you know, you mentioned the ACC and the type of teams you're going up against. They're they're going to run a, a, a multiple spread offense, if you will. I think if they had their druthers, they'd be a spread team per se. Um, but I think Frank Signetti, with his with his pro-style background, I think there'll be more multiple than that. But it's all it's going to be about getting athletes and, and getting them in space and getting the football so that they can win one-on-one matchups. Gill, Flowers, Kobe White, these guys can do that. And, again, I think this is an offense that's going to be a lot different than what we're used to with Steve Adazio. It's not going to be so 11 and 12 personnel heavy. I think they'll be an 11 personnel a fair amount but I don't think they're going to be a heavy 12 and 13 personnel team like they were under Steve Adazio. I think this is going to be more of a 10 and 11 personnel type of offense, and I think you're going to see them use some two tight ends, but it's going to be more about creating matchups and getting their athletes in space to make plays. Gill can certainly do that, and I think this, for that reason alone, this is a huge late off-season pickup for Halfley and his staff. Staying with college football, I wanted to get your thoughts on the CAA – Uh, The Colonial Athletic Association announced at the end of last week that they are also canceling fall sports, which means no football, which means no football for Maine, UNH, and URI around here. This is the biggest FCS conference in the country and probably the most prominent. This is a big deal, and this is another domino that falls. So my question to you, Kevin, is do you think that this is a big enough domino? We also saw that the MIAC canceled. As well as at the Division II level, the NE10 also canceled their fall sports. But sticking with the CAA, do you think that this is a big enough domino falling that it could affect the FBS level and the Power Five programs?
1: Uh, the Power Fives, I'm still—it's just so hard to get a read on them. Um, they feel very NFLish to me, like they want to, you know, plow through this any way possible. Um, but in terms of the domino effect. It's just another in the long line that that keeps happening over the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a bad omen. Again, we've talked about bad omens the past, I don't know, two or three episodes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, the Power Fives, it's hard to get a read on. But in terms of more and more schools following suit, I think it's just a matter of time at this point.
0: Well, I think the key to to the one thing that we need to look at, and I think it's going to be a key with the – FBS level is the Notre Dames, the UMasses, the New Mexico States, the Independents, BYU. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. And I'm going to talk about UMass here in a sec, but I don't know if this is going to have enough of an effect that it's going to affect what the Power Fives decide to do. I agree with you. I don't think that the CAA canceling fall sports and football is going to affect them. Now, the interesting thing is James Madison announced over the weekend, that they're going to explore playing an independent schedule, provided the FCA, that there's enough teams to still have the FCS playoffs. Mm-hmm. If the FCS playoffs can go off, James Madison has, has talked about exploring an independent schedule that would allow them to qualify for the FCS playoffs. That'll be interesting to, to see if it happens. The other thing is Nick Charlton, the head coach at the University of Maine, did say over the weekend on Twitter that Maine is – is exploring the possibility of playing in the spring. A lot of that will depend on whether or not other programs decide to to kick it forward to the spring. We've talked about that the last couple of episodes. Logistically, I don't see how it's going to happen. I just think between fall sports, spring sports, there's no way that you can can get all these sports off in the same season. But again, I think it gives your fan base hope that, hey, maybe we will play in the spring. Maybe we might have football after all, and maybe we could salvage it. Look, outside of logistics and field space and whatnot, to me the biggest reason why you're not going to see them play in the spring is you can't ask these kids to play in the spring and then have some of them return and play in the fall a few months later. That's just not yeah. – it's not safe. It's You're asking for trouble. So, to me, I think the CAA is cooked. I think their season's over. Yeah, maybe James Madison might, might salvage it. But I don't think that the New England schools are going to be playing football until the fall of 2021.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, and I'm with you on the spring thing too. Um, like you said, we've talked about it. Again, I'm a cross guy at heart, but uh, just no matter what the sport you play, you know, even if there's you know some golf in the spring or you know baseball, softball, track, you're not going to be asking kids to to make a choice like that. And even if you are, the results might end up being terrible for certain programs in terms of of number of kids that stay. So uh, I don't think the spring seasons are feasible uh, for really anybody. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm with you there.
0: Yeah. Now I mentioned UMass earlier, so I guess we can move on to the next topic here. I I mentioned UMass and the independent schedule that they're playing. Now, as of right now, they've only lost one game. Albany, the Albany game has been postponed, Mm -hmm. so they're not going to be playing Albany. So there's that. Now, they're technically going to be looking for a game, although more than likely if their season does go off, they're probably just not going to replace the Albany game. They'll just take a bye week that week. But when you look at their schedule, they've got some pretty quality opponents coming to town that would generate interest. People would go to the games outside of the uh, outside of the students and alumni. I think you'd get people to go to some of these games. Temple, New Mexico State, uh, Troy and Army all come to UMass this year. Mm -hmm. If UMass doesn't end up playing a season, I think it's pretty damaging to this program because they're not in a conference. So you don't have that conference protection, if you will, with TV money or or, or money coming from other affiliations and sponsorships. If UMass does not play this fall, I don't want to say it's a death deal because it's not that, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a pretty big blow. If UMass can play, they should play. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I agree. For a team that needs any goodwill and good publicity and any other good stuff they can get, man, they got to try and get on the field. <laughs> uh, especially Walt Bell. He, It seems like kids are starting to, to kind of lean towards at least looking at UMass. Uh, maybe not always signing there, but um, they are starting to get a few eyes. Uh, you know, Brady Olson is obviously going there. and um, yeah, Dominic to-
0: Schofield, both out of Milford High School. Those are two yeah. big pickups for them. Yeah.
1: So, again, yeah, they, I mean, they need – it seems like they're starting to build at least a very small bit of momentum. So um, any way that they can keep that going, they need to try and do it.
0: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. They need to play. Yeah. Um, will they play? That remains to be seen. I think the independents are in a real pickle. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what you could see with the independents is you could see them playing a reduced schedule of some kind. Yeah. So while well, you might not see New Mexico State come here. They also go to New Mexico. So they may not go to New Mexico and New Mexico State may not come here. But if UMass can salvage some kind of a season and play some kind of a schedule, I think they will. But this is a program, keep in in mind, they also go to Auburn this season. They rely on that money that they get from a program like an Auburn. They need that money to come in not only for the football program but for the athletic department. That's why I made the point earlier, if they don't play this season, it's a pretty big deal for this program financially. They're going to take a hit.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, you mentioned – you know, going to Auburn, no matter what their result becomes, and you know it's probably not going to be pretty, it's still eyes on the program, you know, some way, shape, or form. That's a
0: great point. So, that's a great point.
1: I mean, it's, so it's a
0: huge. No, go ahead.
1: No, yeah, no, I was just going to say, no matter what happens there, it's huge. So, um, especially that game in particular, they're probably going to lose by 60, but it's probably the biggest game of the year, you know?
0: No, oh, it's the biggest game of the year because, as you mentioned, recruiting. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a high-profile game for the program. It helps you with recruiting. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, as I mentioned, it helps you financially. So, again, if you don't get to play that game, and as it stands right now, if the SEC decides to do what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have done, if mm-hmm. they decide not to play non-conference games, and the SEC tends to play a lot of their non-conference games on the back end of their schedule, yeah. if they decide not to play those games – that's a, it's a big blow to UMass financially. All right, I'm going to shift gears here now. Let's get into the NFL. We briefly talked about the NFL. I do want to come back to this conversation about the players and feeling safe and, and the season starting. Before we do that, the Patriots did announce their 2020 uh, regular season home game protocol, if you will, or policy, if you will, for the upcoming season. They're only allowing 20% of the fa- – capacity in the stadium now Gillette stadium seats about 65,898 I believe they're only allowing 20% of that number to come into the stadium you have to wear a mask and I believe they're only doing uh, tickets in blocks of 10 and they're going they're not going to allow people that sit at the 50 or near the 50 along the wall those first few rows they're not going to allow people to sit in those seats because they're going to block that off for advertising Mm -hmm. now I have to admit I'm pretty surprised that they're going to allow fans to come in. I I didn't think that there would be fans, but it appears that the league is leaving it up to each team. The Philadelphia Eagles, by the way, have opted not to play in front of fans. So two-part question here for you, Kevin. One, are you surprised that they're doing fans? And two, do you see any scenario where the Patriots have fans at every single home game this season? Or will at some point, depending on what happens with COVID, the NFL aborts this thing.
1: So to answer the second part first, obviously, de- depending on COVID, yes, I can see people going to every game. You're always going to get people that want to go tailgate, that want to just get out there and be part of the experience. So, um, yeah, again, if as long as people can for the whole season, then, yeah, uh, I do think people show up for, for every game. Uh, for the first part, yeah, I was surprised. Um, like you said, there's going to be some teams that, that aren't going to do it and some teams – they're going to probably try to push for, for even more capacity. So, um, again, I, I'd be surprised if you even get, you know, that 20% or, or whatever it may be at Gillette. Um, I just think people around here have, have been, quote-unquote, smarter about it. Um, but in terms of the whole NFL, um, I still don't think it's going to be – you're not going to see very many full buildings this year. Um, and by full, I mean even, you know, a quarter full.
0: Oh no. I mean, as it stands right now, they're only going to be allowing a little over 13,000 fans yeah. uh, per home game. So yeah, it's gonna be weird. It's yeah. it's 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 gonna be like watching the last two minutes of a of the fourth preseason game yeah. throughout the entire game, throughout every home game throughout the regular season. And it's a yeah. shame because they have a terrific home schedule this year. You got the Raiders yeah. coming into town, the Broncos, 49ers, Cardinals. They've got a really nice home schedule. And it's too bad that fans are not only going to – not most fans aren't going to be able to see any of those games, but assuming Cam Newton's their starting quarterback, you're not going to be able to see him play either unless you roll the dice and say, you know what, I'm going to keep my tickets. And I know a lot of people have deferred that option to 2021, and and rightfully so because, again, you never know. They're going to start the regular season with fans, but I think if we experience some kind of a surge here, I could see a scenario where at some point during the regular season – They tell people, stay at home. We're not going to do any fans. Again, it remains to be seen. If the NFL wants a a lock, stock, and barrel commitment, if you will, from the owners to say that, hey, you know what? No, we're going to play in front of people regardless of what this thing does, then they'll have fans throughout the regular season. Now, the other thing is, is if you were willing to roll the dice and keep your tickets, well, you're still going to be able to get playoff tickets assuming they make the playoffs. If you didn't, you're going to have to buy them in the secondary market which means you're going to have to pay more for them. So uh, that remains to be seen. Now, we mentioned the NFL starting training camps open this week. We talked a little bit about players expressing some concerns as to whether or not they want to participate in camp. Uh, There's a hashtag going around, hashtag we want to play. I think the players are showing good faith here. I think they want to play. I think they want to do right by the sport. They want to do right by their their teams. They want to do right by the fans. The fact that the NFL, which was in a pretty advantageous position. Unlike the NBA, their mm-hmm. season wasn't interrupted. Yeah. Unlike Major League Baseball, their season wasn't interrupted. Mm-hmm. They were in the they, they were in the beginning of their offseason when all they started. They have had plenty of time to figure this out. So the fact that the players are coming out this morning and tweeting the stuff that they tweeted out that yes, we want to play, but the league doesn't seem to be too concerned about taking precautions. That, that's a that's a red flag to me. And the NFLPA has kind of sort of, in the past month, the Morris Smith has hinted at this. He's mm-hmm. come out publicly and said, our guys want to play, but we want to make sure that it's safe for them to play. So with that being said, do you think that these guys are just going to just deal with it and show up and play? Or could you potentially see the start of the NFL season, i.e. the start of training camps, being delayed?
1: Oh, definitely. And at this point... Um... They'd almost be dumb not to, you know, sit out and wait for actual, real life protocols in a time where, the NFL really doesn't have a choice. Um, I mean, to have if not half the league, then at least you know a large chunk of it. Um, they don't really need the money, or at least they do, but not at the expense of not having protocols and and putting their families at risk and all that. So, um, hell yeah, I could easily see um this season being delayed, but I also think the NFL is I shouldn't say smart enough, but I don't think they're like the MLB in the sense that, yeah, I don't think they'll drag this on. They'll ultimately kind of figure out what to do and, and come up with something like the NBA and, and the NHL did, but uh, it has a baseball feel to it. I hope it doesn't go that route. Um, and I don't think, I think there's too much money on the line for it to go um, in that direction.
0: Well, if they're going to figure it out, they better hurry up. Oh, because, hell yeah. Yeah. As I said on numerous occasions, the- and <laughs> on this week's podcast, yeah, I mean, training camp's open tomorrow. So, yeah, yeah, the Texans and Chiefs can show up. But then what are you going to do as the week goes on and into next weekend? What are you going to do when all these other teams need to show up? You need to figure it out. And while they did unveil a plan as to what their expectations are for training camp practices and participation Mm -hmm. and, and what the players and the organizations need to do, if the players are coming out and saying, hey, we don't feel safe with this, yeah. They need to figure it out, and they need to figure it out fast. I mean, I said this with the, when it comes to the NBA. Your players are your most precious commodity if you're these owners. Without them, you don't have a game. You don't have a product. You don't make any money. They need to figure this out and ensure these guys that when they're, when they're participating, they're going to be safe because as we've seen with this thing, and we've seen in Florida and Texas and Arizona, young people are getting this thing right now at an unprecedented rate. It's affecting young people more so right now than people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. Mm-hmm. So you really need to, to to assure these guys that they're going to be okay if they participate. I mean, you see the tweet that Russell Wilson puts out where he talks about the fact that his wife is pregnant. I yeah. don't blame the guy. Mike Trout's in the same boat in yeah, baseball. No, I don't blame these guys. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be around someone that has it. You get it, and then you bring it home to your pregnant wife. Yeah, you, you, you know this thing has. That's the one thing about COVID. It's not just an old people thing. It affects people of all ages, all walks of life. And I don't blame the players for wanting stricter protocols and and, and wanting some assurances that they're going to be safe playing the game. I don't think that's asking much.
1: No hell no, especially not um, for the amount of money that they bring in for the owners. Um, it's it's night and day in terms of you know really any of the other leagues uh, except maybe the NBA, but. Um, there's too much There's too much at stake for, for players to just casually show up and, and think it's going to end up being okay. So uh, I'm with you in terms of the timing. Um, they have to get their heads out of their ass. But I also do – part of me just feels like something's going to get done. I'm not sure why I feel that way, but uh, oh, I It's just, the NFL. I'm,
0: they always figure it out. I right, agree with you. Right,
1: that. Yeah. So um, – but I'm, I'm with you 100% in terms of um, they shouldn't show up unless there is, you know, certain stuff in place.
0: All right, let's let's uh, let's wrap up this week's uh, episode with our final thoughts here. Now, when we do our final thought, basically I just put out a statement and me and Kevin uh, tell you if we agree with that statement or not. This week's final thought, I'm down with no preseason games. So I'm going to start with you, Kevin Stone. Are you okay with playing no preseason games? The NFLPA does not want preseason games. Are you okay with that? Yes or no, and why? Yeah, I
1: mean, this year it's kind of hard not to be, right? I mean, it's it's pretty pointless at this point. Um, the Patriots usually treat September like a preseason anyway. So in terms of fandom around here, it's not really going to make a difference. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just for for all the uncertainty that's going on right now, why throw four meaningless games out there for, for guys that might not have enough time to ramp up and, and get ready for, for preventing injuries and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's pointless this year.
0: Well they've already announced that they that they're reducing it down to two anyway and now yeah. they're talking about not playing any at all. I don't agree with it. I think that they should try to play the two if they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were a Patriots fan, I'd want them to play the two simply because you're going to have a new starting quarterback for the first time yeah. in 20 seasons. Huh. And if that whether that quarterback is Jared Stidham or Cam Newton, mm-hmm. they're going to need to be they're going to need s- snaps so that they can be more well versed and comfortable in this offense. I mean, let's face it, if you don't have any preseason game, there's a possibility that Brian Hoyer may end up being your starting quarterback week one. It's and I don't think terrifying. anybody around here wants that. So no, uh, as far as I'm concerned, yes, I would like to see them play at least one. But the way things are trending right now, the owners might give up those preseason games in an effort to get the players to camp. Because mm-hmm. I can see a scenario where the players might say, listen, if you can't guarantee me my safety, I'm not showing up. I don't care how much you want to find me and, and, and suspend me. It's not going to matter if I don't feel that it's safe, I'm not coming. So that might be a way that the owners can extend an all of branch of sorts, if you will, by saying, look, here's the deal. We'll give up the preseason. We'll let you guys have more practice time, more snaps to practice. We won't make you play a game. And then that'll give us an opportunity to kind of get our, you know, what together and try to figure this out so that we can get the regular season off on time. Well, that's it for this week's episode. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find Kevin at KStone06. You can find me at UFTBJ. For Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenitas. Until next week, peace. See ya.